Hi there. You're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right. It's good to see everybody this morning. How many of you know that there's power of life and death in words? Pick your words well, beloved. They impact the world. How many of you can remember something that was said to you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that still messed with your head today? Don't do that to somebody else. Be somebody that's an agent of freedom. Building. We don't tear people down. We build people up. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It's good to see you. Welcome to everybody online. As you can tell, we have a a surfer theme today. I am in full Hawaiian garb. Even my sandals are Hawaiian. Take a look. By the way, last time I wore sandals, somebody, they were nervous about my, my toes. I don't know why. <laughs> I love my toes. You keep your toes to yourself, I'll keep my toes to myself. I said, Pastor, can you show your toes on the stage? Yes, you can. Um, I, uh, Robin and I, we've had a few uh, opportunities to live near the beach, near the coast. I went to school at Southeastern University when I was getting ready to go to college. I had a few choices. I could go to Valley Forge, which was an old army hospital. Or I could go to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, closer to the beach. I felt the Lord lead me strongly to Florida and the beach. So that's where I, I, I cut my teeth. So Robin and I, we, we spent years down there, not just in school, but then we, uh, we pastored down there. We were youth pastors. We were young, full of vigor, full of strength. I can tell you this, as a 21-year-old, I would have never trusted my children to me as a 21-year-old, I remember we had a, a growing youth group. We took a youth group from about five kids to about, about 50. And we decided we needed to do a retreat. We didn't know what we were doing, but we decided we are going to do a retreat. We're there by the beach, and we're going to do a beach retreat. So we went to Cocoa Beach. We loaded up 30 kids in these Econo vans and cars. It was the, the motliest-looking caravan you've ever seen in your life. We got to Cocoa Beach. We had no idea what we were doing. We had a block of hotel rooms for our kids. And we decided during the day we would have beach activities, and in the evening we'd have these little mini services in our little hotel rooms there, those poor other people that had to listen to us on the other sides of the walls. And, and I remember, you know, we're young, and we're learning the beach culture, so we didn't know what to do, so we thought it would be great to take all the kids to go down and, and to, to play in the water in the ocean and to surf at night. Exactly. True stories. I'm down there flopping around in the water. I'm in the water about to my chest. The moon is bright, which I've learned later the sharks love that. They could see their delicacies just floating around in the water. We're floating around the water. I'm watching all these teenagers and, and those that are in middle school and those that are junior high. And I'm telling you right now, I know this is not one of the reasons I know that God's alive. He's real. As I'm in the water, I did not hear an audible voice from God saying, get these kids out of the water. I did not hear that, but this is what I did hear. da dum in my ears, for those of you who don't know, that's the opening line to the scene to Jaws. At that moment, you know, James talks about wisdom that he gives people if you need it. At that moment, God flooded me with wisdom and said, get these kids out of the water. So I started, I was like a person with a head up, get out of the water. People thought we were dying, somebody was on fire. We get all the kids out of the water. And, and nobody died. I don't know how we didn't lose a kid or two. I have no idea how we didn't lose a kid or two. So then the next day, we... Um, we decided to, to try our, 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 our lot at surfing. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know of any great Greek chunky surfers. If they exist, they're somewhere in the Mediterranean, and I've never heard of them. So we went down, Ron John Surf Shop. How many of you have ever been to Ron John Surf Shop? Or you had this? It's right there, Cocoa Beach. We go to Ron John's. We, we run our surfboards, and we go out into the surf to learn how to surf. The guy at the surf shop gave me these three quick lessons on how to surf. Watch out for fins. Try to stay on your board, catch the wave. I got it. How tough could this be? It's really tough. <laughs> it is. Go out into the water, and I, I, I let these waves beat me all day. I realized something. It's hard to catch these really cool waves when you're not willing to go past your ankles into the water. It's really tough. I had this big longboard, and I finally got up for about three seconds to the end of the day, and I figured, you know what? Did this, done. I got the T-shirt. It's over. Surfing looks very easy, especially on TV, especially in all the sitcoms. Gidget, remember Gidget? That looks, it looks easy, but it's not. To, to show you really how epic surfing is, take a look at this. How many of you would go up on a wave like that? 
Now understand this, some of those waves are so big and they're so powerful, if you fall off of that, you know, the danger's not just in drowning. Some of us falling 30 feet straight down and then having that 30-foot structure of wave falling on top of you. That's a big deal. Some of you struggle on the slip and slide. That is a big deal. It is. It's fierce. It's crazy. My point is this. You know, it's not easy to do that. There's a lot of things that go into surfing. You've got to learn how to catch these waves, how to ride these waves, how much to paddle, where to point, how to get up on these things. There's a physical part of it, but there's also a mental part of it. It's just how you surf, apparently. I don't know. I love it when you see in the physical world spiritual parallels. Things like surfing, you know. When you go to the beach, the last time I checked, the surfers don't make the waves. They just ride them. They learn to recognize where the waves are at and they ride them. You don't make the waves. In the church world, sometimes we think we're the ones that create the waves of the Spirit. We don't make the waves. We recognize them and we learn how to ride them. None of us are powerful enough to make those spiritual waves. So as surfers, in order to catch the right ones, they have to be able to recognize the best waves as they're coming in. Recognizing the best waves as a surfer is important. Recognizing things, what God is doing in this next season, is essential in the life of a believer. you got to recognize stuff. For example, I love when God drops practical examples days before my talk on a Sunday morning. Friday night, uh, Robin and I were here. Uh, there was a little party for one of our parishioners who turned 60. The youth were meeting outside in the back. Jojo, it's coming. The youth were meeting outside in the back. And Robin and I decided to pop down there to see what's going on. There's about 40, 50 kids, teenagers, playing, having a good time. And they're eating, which always attracts this guy. So we go down there, and the basketball hoops up, and the kids are playing basketball. And they seem like they're having a good time. They're getting ready to play a game. And one of the kids in just says, Pastor, are you going to play basketball with us? Now, I have not really played basketball since I had my back surgery. But something in the way that they said that, rose something up in me that says, you know what, we're going to give this a shot. There's enough kids here. I'll just, if, I just, if I just, you know, just tone it down, everybody, I can't tone it. If I just tone it down, I should be fine. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll come play with you guys. So then we, we go up in there, and they have two captains, and they start to pick teams. Oh, my gosh. They pick this guy, and that guy, and this guy, and that guy, and this girl, and that girl. I was the last one picked. For the teams, the end, the bottom, that was me. I haven't been picked last in a long time. So I already got a little chip on my shoulder. I'm like, this is, this is a little bananas. I'm the last one picked here because I know what this is. So we get out there, we start to play. And I start to ease into it, but the more I ease into it, the more I get confident, the more I realize this guy's still got something in the tank. So I start playing, and I don't want to, I want to say this as humbly as possible. I was fantastic. I was. I was fantastic. I was. I played. I scored all kind of points. Um, we, I, was, I, 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 I can't brag, but I was probably the engine for the team. I was the greatest draft pick of that day. The last one picked, you know, brought back in. It was amazing. I got into such a frenzy at one point. One of the kids, <coughs> JoJo, shot this ball. I blocked it. Our guy, Ben, pulled it down. He went up. I blocked Ben, too. He was on my team. Isn't that true, Ben? Hit him right, blocked him right out of there. I was so pumped up. And then he scored. I, 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 and then I scored, you're right, I scored too. I was, was incredible. I was incredible. My point is this. They did not recognize that inside of this body was a champion. Jojo, next time you better not pick me last, man. <laughs> and Kai, thanks for being on the team with me. It always helps when you got a kid that's like 6'2 and can dunk if he's on your team. It always helps. My point is this, we have to be able to recognize what God is doing. You can't be a part of something if you don't recognize what God's doing. Know this about your Heavenly Father. He is always inviting us to be part of what He's doing. So here's the big question. How do we as believers recognize what God is doing now? It's easy to see what God did in the past because you're looking behind but how do we recognize what God wants to do now so that we can be positioned for the future? If you've got your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. If you have our app, you get all my notes. 
you're on the U version of the Bible, uh, look for live events, see Trinity Community Church, you get all my notes. It's important, beloved. I don't care if you've got a Bible, if you've got your phone. It's important to see these verses with your own eyeballs. By the way, don't forget, as you leave today, we have a little selfie station out in the back, beach selfie station. You can take pictures, take a picture with your family, put it on Facebook, do something with it. I was supposed to tell you that and I forgot. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. I'm going to read from the voice translation. It says this, don't revel only in the past. Or spend all of your time recounting the victories of days gone by. Watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now. Even as I speak, you're about to see it. I'm preparing a way through the desert. Waters will flow where there had been none. This is one of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible. God is always doing something new. Always. So how do we recognize what God's doing right now? Three little things. I want to put into your spirit. Then I want to turn you loose as believers because, beloved, if you and I could get this concept and we could figure out what God's doing right now, it'll revolutionize your walk. It'll revolutionize our church. You know what we do a lot of times as believers? We pray our own agendas to God and we ask him to bless them. How different would it be if we figured out what God was doing and we just took part in that? If you figure out what God's doing, it's already blessed. Are you with me, beloved? All right. First, this is how you recognize what God's doing. Be open. Everybody say open. Be open. As believers, we are open to the things of the Spirit, to the things of God. We are not closed people. We are open. Sometimes we get stuck in our faith because we expect God to only move in certain ways. We do. Sometimes we limit how God can interact with us to only the ways that you and I are familiar with or comfortable with. We forget that God is always doing something new in us and through us. Beloved, listen to me very carefully. Don't confuse your personal preferences and styles with theology and God's blessing. Just because you love country music doesn't mean you should subject all of us to that stuff. Can I get a witness? Stand by your man. Come on, man. Don't confuse style with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We do this all the time. For example, we were at our church in Denver. Little church, man. We packed people in there. It was just bananas. I love stuff like that. I mean, you couldn't put other people in there. We had this church, and they, they had pews on the top, and there was a full basement. And we needed more room. We only had one little space. So we decided strategically we were going to get rid of the pews and put in chairs because we could put more people in there. I still remember the day we got rid of the pews. Sister Martha came up to me when the chairs, she was pastor on that session. She goes, where are the pews? I said, well, Martha, I said, we, we got rid of the pews. We blessed another church with them so we get more people in here so we could use this room for dinners and all these other things. It'll be better for the church. She looked at me and she said, Ichabod! That's, you know, a story in the Bible that says the glory of the Lord has departed from this place. And she says, I'm calling Kansas City on you. I said, that's great. Our offices are in Springfield, Missouri. Here you go. And she left. Because in her mind, the only way God could show up in that little sanctuary was through the pews. How many of you know that pews do not bring in the presence of God? Pews are uncomfortable pieces of wood that you sit on that were strategically designed by preachers like me to keep you awake. They were. Guys, don't get confused with those things. We get stuck sometimes, beloved, in the good old days, and we try to make God conform to those things. And when we do that, you know what we do? We put God in a box. Think about this. We put the God of the universe in a box to keep us comfortable. How many of you know that that's a bad idea? You don't put God in a box. You can't. You can't put God in a box. I know what you're thinking, Pastor. I'm a good Christian. I would never put God in a box. We do it all the time. All of us, at some point or another, put God in a box. We try to shape and form God in our image. And we forget that God isn't made in our image. He created us in his image. Jesus, or God told us in Genesis that we're made in his image. He said this in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, by the way, that us is a pretty big deal. We're called Trinity Community Church. Why? 
Because the Godhead is more than just, it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, when did it start? It's always been there. It says this, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We're made in God's image. Sometimes we make God in our image. So how do we do that? How do we make God in our image? How do we put God in the box? We make God in our image when we do two things. When we shape him around our likes and our limitations. When you shape God over what you like and all the things that limit you, then you put God in the box. For example, let's look at our likes. What does it mean to shape God according to our likes? All of us have a way that we do certain things. All of us have things that we like. For example, some of you like lima beans. The more intelligent people realize lima beans are icky. I don't like lima beans, so we don't have lima beans in the house. Why? Because, well, my kids don't eat vegetables anyway. If we're going to eat a vegetable, it's not going to be lima beans. You know, it's just not going to be lima beans. We have things that we like. For example, in my house, um, I, I have a garage. I have tools. I have all these things. And without, with my tools, I have a system. I have a system. It's crazy, and it's out there. It's nuts. It's bananas. You ready for this? Here's the system. If you use a tool, put it back where you found it. Exactly. Clean it, put it right back. Now, some other people in my house have a different approach to tools, usage, and storage. How many of you have ever heard of free-range chickens? <laughs> where the chicken just does whatever it wants. We have this, this thing in the Harris house of free-range tools. Wherever I use it, they're done. Yeah, they just drop it and walk away. That means sometimes I discover a tool when I'm mowing the grass. Sometimes I discover a tool. You know, I'm looking for tools. And then there's another person in the house that's got this drawer. Instead of taking the stuff to the garage, she <laughs> just puts it in the drawer. And I find, after you open that thing up, it weighs 72 pounds. Why is there a drill in this drawer? It's just what they do. So in my head... Again, there is, I have my way of doing things. Now, I think that my way is the right way. But it has been told to me on numerous occasions that perhaps I need to loosen up and my way is not the right way. How many of you know that the reality is this? It's just my way. doesn't mean that it's right. Put my tools back. <laughs> doesn't mean that it's right. Don't confuse what you like with right and wrong. There are some times it is right and wrong. There's other times some of you like vanilla. Somebody like this guy likes chocolate. Ice cream is ice cream. Figure it out. We do this in the kingdom sometimes. We do this in the kingdom all the time. Do you know the most divided time of the week for humans? Sundays at church. How many churches do we have within five miles of us? All from the same book all determined that they're right. And if I'm right, what does that mean? You're wrong. Don't make God in your likeness. We do this all the time. Just because something's different doesn't mean that it's wrong. We see a practical example of this with Jesus and the disciples in the book of Mark. Mark 9, 38 says this. <clears throat> John spoke up and he said, Teacher, we noticed that someone is using your name to cast out demons, so we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of our group. Look at Jesus' response. He says, don't stop him, Jesus replied. For the one who does the miracles in the power of my name proves that he's not my enemy, and whoever's not against us is for us. Just because they're not part of us doesn't mean that they're not for us. Just because people do things different than you, they worship different than you, doesn't mean that they're the enemy. Doesn't mean that they're wrong. A lot of your faith is built on your preferences. You're going to find this shocking. There are some people that don't like my preaching. It's true. <laughs> some people get annoyed at my very presence. I know, it's crazy. Those people aren't here. And you know what's funny? That's okay. Find places that will feed you, that will feel you. That's fine. It's a like. Don't restrict God to your likes. Do you hear me, beloved? This is how the church, the big C church, comes together and locks arms. We move past petty likes and dislikes. Your faith is not a Facebook icon. 
you hear me? Move past it. Second, don't put God in the box based on your limitations. Now, as believers, we do this all the time. Just because you don't understand things that God does or how he does it, don't pull the God of the universe down to your level just so you can get your head around him to try to be able to explain him. That just cracks me up. We try to explain God. Now, we have understandings of God's nature, of his heart. We know that God is good. One of the foundational principles of your faith should be this, beloved, that God is good. If you know in your heart that God is good, a lot of the rest of what flows in your life as a believer is already taken care of. Do you believe that God is good? If you believe that with all your heart, you'll never doubt. You'll just go, okay, I haven't figured it out yet, but God, you got this. Bad things happen. Can't wait to see how, God, you're going to pull this one off. It's a shift, right? So we believe, again, you have to know, you know all these, these great things about who God is. Just because you don't understand how he does it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And we don't bring him down to understand these things. You and I will never fully understand the heart and the mind of God. I don't know how God heals people. I just know that he does. I've seen God mend bones. I've seen God heal people from cancer. I've seen God raise people up off their deathbed. I don't know how he does it. I just know that he does, and I believe. I don't know how God changes a human heart. How do you take somebody that just destroyed their life over and over because their heart was pointed the wrong way, and, and we tried all of our very best, and in a moment, God touches them and fixes things and change, and he puts them on a new path. How does he do that? I don't know. I just know that he does. Beloved, when you try to figure God out and you have to, to limit your understanding of God to only the things that you can figure out, you start to limit God and you take this God of the universe and you start to make him small. You make him powerless. What did Timothy say about the last days? There would be churches that would talk about God, but they would deny the power that comes with him. Your Christianity, your faith, is more than just what sits between your ears. It's the thing that beats in your chest. And the Holy Spirit that flows from you to touch the world around you, it is. Isaiah 55, 8 says this about God and us, in case you're not getting the memo yet. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as high, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Did God put that okay? Do you understand that? In short, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to trust and believe, even though you don't understand. For example, how many of you have a car? Did you get here in your car today? You turned the key or you hit the button, and what happened? It started up. How did that happen? Now, some of you are automotive, you're gearheads, and you're like, oh, you see these pistons fire, and some of you are like, magic. Still, you got in that car, you woke up this morning believing the second you hit that button, the second you turn that key, everything's going to fire up. You don't understand it, but you believe. Do me a favor, give God a break. Take him at his word. Believe that, hey, I'm going to pray for this person, they're going to be healed. Let's get it done. It's not on you, it's on him beloved. It's okay. So we start to recognize first what God is doing when we have a posture of openness, which says this, God, you can do anything. You can do anything. Don't look for God just in familiar ways. Look for God to show up in impossible ways. Read the scripture. It's a book of miracles. Just read it. So that's the first thing. Second, we move from just being open to then we observe. In your faith, there's an element of looking, seeing, and observing. Your faith should not just be this collection of us bumbling along till we get it right. It should be beyond that. Look at the passage. It says, don't revel only in the past or spend all your time recounting the victories of days gone by. Watch closely. Did you see that? Watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now. Even as I speak, you're about to what it? See it. There's part of our faith that brings observation is or observation in. So how do we see it? How do we perceive now what God is doing? Two things. We search and then we surrender. 
We search, we look for it, and then we surrender to what we find. So what does it mean for us to search? We look for God's residue in our life. We look for God showing up in our life. We look for the evidence. We sang that today, didn't we? We look for the evidence of the kingdom in our life. We look for God's fingerprints that are all over your life. His goodness is all over your life if you're willing to see it, if you're willing to look for it. Whatever you look for, beloved, you will find. Do you know anybody that uh, their life is just in a shambles all the time? They're like, you, you, know, you could say they're just, they're just Debbie Downers. You know anybody like that? You could say, boy, look at that beautiful Sunday. They say, oh, it's just too bright. Oh, the rain just, oh, the rain just, oh, it's terrible. Everything's all muddy. Whatever you look for, you'll find. If you look for brokenness, you'll find it. If you look for things to complain about, you'll find it. You could send those emails to Trish at tccde.com. Don't send them to this guy. So what are you looking for, beloved? Well, pastor, I'm a critical thinker. Look for goodness. Look for the best. God just built me that way. No, he did not. Look for the best. Be transformed by the renewing of your... God renews your mind. You see beauty instead of just the ashes. You see grace instead of just condemnation and judgment. God can shift those things. He can. My God can do the impossible. Truth is this. There's evidence of God's presence in all of our lives. You just have to look for it. <clears throat> the evidence is all around. Um, I remember a few years ago, we, uh, we lived in Denver, and we decided, we had a little dog. We have a miniature little schnauzer named Domino. And we decided we were going to get chickens. Now, the big thing getting chickens in Colorado is you got a lot of wild things there, you know, coyotes, and you got, um, you know, um, like, you know, wild cats would come down and stuff like that. So they said, you know, if you have just a little schnauzer out there protecting the chickens, he'll just be the main course instead of, and the chickens will turn into just a snack. So they said, you got to get a bigger dog or he needs a buddy. That's what she told me. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. I didn't say, so we got another one, Jax. Jax, this is, this is, these are the two, they look very fierce, don't they? Chicken garters. So we got this, this, this dog, Jax, and Jax, I think, came from an abuse situation, so Jax is kind of skittish. Um, soon after we got Jax, we noticed something. Things in the house started to disappear. First, it was a sock, and a stuffed animal, then a toy. One time, I lost my, uh, my, I'm a diabetic, I lost my diabetic testing kit, couldn't find it anywhere. I'm thinking, this is the weirdest thing ever. So we started to look around. I remember I was looking for my diabetic kid. I was looking around. I couldn't find I looked all through the house. Couldn't find anything. I was outside mowing the grass. The dogs are out there with me. And something bright and shiny caught my eye. It was under a bush. I went out there. And underneath this bush was all the stuff that we had lost in the house for like the last month. In this little pile. And I looked around. I said, what is going on? I looked back. And Jack was sitting right behind me. And he made eye contact with me. Looked at the bush and just looked away. And I realized something. When we brought Jax to the house, we brought into our house a thief. He was a thief. And I found his honey hole. I did. So I grabbed all the stuff I put in, and he, just, he was looking at me, starting to shake, you know, because I just I found his little place. I brought it up. It was a bad dog. Bad dog. Don't take daddy's diabetic things. He'll die. He didn't understand any of that, Right? The evidence was right there. It was under the tree. The evidence was in how he reacted. He started to shake, and, you know, and then the other dog was like, see, I told you, I was enough. We don't need another dog. Just me. I'm enough. <laughs> Guys, if you look for it, you'll recognize God's goodness and his faithfulness in your life because the evidence is all around you. If you look for God to be more prominent in your life, he will be. If you shift your priorities to the priorities of the kingdom... Your life will drastically change. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be taken, for, taken care of. But who has to seek? You. You have to search. You do. Jeremiah 29, 13 puts it this way. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's more than just a Sunday. That's more than just when you're feeling it. That's more than just when the worship is hot. That's more than just when Pastor TJ is funny. You got to determine in your heart that God is worth searching for, seeking. Look for him in your life. So we search. Then, after you find him, you move into the next part, which is surrender. What does it mean for us to surrender? 
It means that we surrender our ways, our wants, our desires to the Lordship of Christ. It means that he's number one, and we slide into the two position, the three position, the four position. It's about him. It's not about us. We make God the center. Our priorities flow from the kingdom, not from our kingdom, the kingdom of self, but from the kingdom of God in his heart, in his righteousness. Then everything shifts and everything changes. Beloved, there's no way around this. If you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, you have to surrender your heart, your will, your dreams to the Father and trust what he has in store for you is better than what you could have for yourself. That's what we believe. So we're yielded to the moving of the Spirit in our lives. I don't know if you're like me. I desperately want the Spirit to move in me and through me to touch this world. I want to be a portal to God's power. That cannot happen until you are surrendered to God's heart. James 4, 7 says this. Surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him and he'll flee in agony. Move your heart closer and closer to God and he'll come even closer to you. So here's the million dollar question. Are there places in your heart in your life that you haven't surrendered to him yet? I mean, are there things you're like, God, you can have this, this, and this, but you can't have this. Are there doors in the house of your heart that have been closed to God and the Holy Spirit? What keeps those doors closed? Well, sometimes it's shame. Sometimes we think, well, God, you can never use me because I did this. I said this. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, you are not perfect. God specializes in using broken vessels. You're broken. I'm broken. Are there places like that? Do me a favor. Bow your heads just for a second. We're going to take a pause. Just ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Say, God, will you show me? Am I fully surrendered to you? Or there are things am I holding on to that I need to just lay in your feet? Talk to the Holy Spirit and listen to what he says. Now, if he's revealing places in your heart and in your life that he wants to have access to, just right now, take, just, take, just talk to him. Say, Lord, help me. Help me. Show me how to surrender this to you. Show me how to do this. And again, if you need practical help, that's why we exist as a church. Email us. Grab somebody that knows, like, you know, looks like they know what they're doing. And say, can you help me with this? One of the things that we do as believers that makes it beautiful is when we are comfortable enough to trust each other and be vulnerable. Beloved, listen to me as I tell you this, and trust me on this. All of us are working out our faith with fear and trembling. Nobody has this all figured out. Nobody. So just trust. So how do we recognize what God is doing in our midst? How do we recognize it? First, we have to have a posture of openness. We don't shut things down. We don't put God in the box. We're open to all the ways that God may speak to us. Second, we observe. We look for the fingerprints of God in our life. We see the evidence. Like Jax's honey hole, we find it. And third, we operate in the things that he is doing now. We don't sit on the bench. We don't stay on the sidelines. Our faith is a participation thing. It's designed for you to do something. Your faith is an action word. It's not just listening to me talk. That's not an action. That's preparation to do something. It is. It's God's heart for all of us to get into the water, to catch the wave of the Spirit, to be in alignment with all the things that God is doing now. God is doing something new now. You can't do that from the shore. You can't do that from the beach. You have to get into the water. That's where the waves are at. Now, there's danger out there, too. The sharks like that water, too. But the waves are out there. That's where we have to go. Look at the passage again. I am preparing a way through the desert. Waters will flow where there had been none. Where there's God, there is life. I've come to bring you life, abundant life. God brings life where there was death. The church was designed to operate and move in life. It's in God that we live, we move, and we have our being, and we are God's representation of the earth. This place, this house, should be a house of life. It should be. 
should be a house of life where God's doing whatever he wants to. And again, all of us need to be a part of that. The church was never meant to be this boring exercise in self-denial. Don't clap. Somebody may see you. Keep your voice at a certain pitch. Don't do anything crazy. Somebody may see you, and then they'll judge you. Who cares? Do you know that people are judging you all the time? Let me ask you a question. Why did you dress the way you did today? Because you liked it? Because you thought you looked good in it? Because somebody at some point, you you look pretty good in that. We had a child growing up that was colorblind. Not physically. In every other way, they were colorblind. And Robin, she went to school for, for fashion. So this kid would come and get, get ready. They like to dress themselves. They get ready, and Robin would go, ah, because there was all kind of polka dots and stripes, and, all, and there was all kind of stuff going on. And they just, you know, they just dressed them. I'm not looking at any kid here. I'm trying not to point the kids out. I only have one kid here today. So, hey, here's what it is. Think about why you do what you do, the car that you drive, the house that you bought, the things that you do. Why do you do them? If it's for your enjoyment and pleasure, that's great. If you do it because of what you, this image you want to promote, oh, oh, this thing you want to be. You know, I, I, somebody told me, a Pastor, I don't know if, I, if we should be seeing your toes on stage. Watch this. Ready for this? If you can't see this on camera, I'm wiggling my toes. Don't get a close-up on those. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, put those let me put those dogs back in the, back in the house. Our faith should be life-giving, exciting, powerful, fulfilling. It should move not just your body, not just your spirit. It should move your heart, your emotions. Your faith is supposed to be interconnected with everything that you do. That's life. Our gatherings together should be can't-wait-to-get-together opportunities. It shouldn't be like, oh, i got to go listen to him tomorrow at church. It should be like Christmas Day. I can't wait to get to TCC tomorrow. By the way, did you notice the baked goods out at the, at the coffee bar? You're welcome. That's all I'm going to say. Fresh baked goods, very nice. We should have a posture of can't wait to be here. So how do we get, as believers, into the water? How do we get off the beach? How do we get into the living stream? How do we get into the water so that you and I can get our boards and catch the wave? How can we be a part of all the new things that God is doing? Two things. Step out, step up. What does it mean to step out? That means that you got to get out of your comfort zone and get into something else. Get into what God's doing now. You have to be willing to take a step, beloved. Now, we see a great example of this in the life of Moses. You look at the life of Moses, you see this guy, and you know Moses' story. You know, he was born at one of the worst times of human history, rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter. Grew up in the, in, in the courts of the Pharaoh back in the day. And Moses, like most of us, as he grew about 40 years old, he made a mistake. Now, I know you guys have made some big mistakes. You believe that you are now disqualified from being used because your mistake was so big. Moses had a similar thing. By the way, he killed a guy. Moses, you know, Ten Commandments, Moses killed murderer. I know your thing is big. I get it. I get it's huge. Killed a guy. 40 years old. He flees, goes into the desert. He left the only home that he knew. He found himself in the desert for another 40 years trying to run away from his past. 40 years. In this self-imposed exile, he has this incredible encounter with God that would change the course of not just his life, but the life of a people and a nation and by the way, thousands of years later, we're still talking about this guy. If you got your Bibles, flip to Exodus chapter 3, starting verse 1. One day while Moses was taking care of the sheep and the goats of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock across the desert and came to Sinai, the holy mountain. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a flame coming from the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that nothing was burning, not, it was not burning up. This is strange, he thought. Why isn't the bush burning up? I'll get a little closer to see. What did he do? You have to search. He's looking. Moses is showing us the thing. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses was coming closer, did you see that? He's looking for it. Moses moves closer. When the Lord saw that Moses was coming closer, he called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
What do you think Moses was thinking about in that time? Hello? No movies? No, no telephones? No TVs? No special effects? You know what Moses had? Goat and sheep. Moses, Moses, what is he? He answered, yes, here I am. Verse 5, God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have seen how cruelly my people are being treated in Egypt. I have heard them cry out to be rescued from their slave drivers. I know all about their sufferings. And I have... Uh, And so I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of Egypt to a spacious land, uh, one which is is fertile, in which the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Prezesites and the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. Verse 9, I have indeed heard the cry of my people, and I see how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now I am sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of this country. How many of you know that's a lot to digest from a bush? It is. Listen to Moses' response. Does this sound familiar, by the way? But Moses said to God, I am nobody. How can I go to the king and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Hello, desert, 40 years, killed a guy. Perhaps you didn't hear God's response. God answered, I will be with you. And when you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. That will be the proof that I have sent you. So Moses has an encounter with God. God brings him in to what's going on. He says, Moses, this is the problem. You're the solution. What do you want to do, bud? So what does Moses have? He has this incredible encounter, but with this incredible encounter comes a choice. Will he step out and get into the waters and answer the call that God puts on his life, or will he stay on the shore? Will he say, you know, I, 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 God, I can't do this. I got sheep. Are there sheep? Did I show you the sheep? There's a goat over there too. Anytime God encounters this beloved, it comes with a choice. What will you do with what he asks of you? There's a choice. There is. Will you stay on the shore? Will you step up? Will you step into the new things that God is doing? So we step in. That's the first thing. You you, you step out. This next thing is this. You step up. It's not enough for you just put your toe in the water and say, okay, I'm here, it's in my ankles, everything's fine. God doesn't call us just to be in ankle deep. He calls us to the deep. He calls us to the deep waters. He calls us to catch the wave. He calls us to not just put our toes in, but to fully immerse ourselves into what God is doing now. This is more than just saying, yes, you have to practically get out there and get it done. Now, we see this illustrated perfectly in the life of Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Gotta love Peter, man. Peter had this thing. Peter had these amazing moments. Peter's been with Jesus. He's seen some incredible things. Peter has done some of the most remarkable things we've ever seen in Scripture, and he's done some of the worst things we've ever seen in Scripture. He has. So Jesus is taken to heaven. He left his disciples to carry on the work. He says, guys, I gotta go, but don't worry, you guys got this. How many of those disciples do you think looked into heaven and was like, we don't got this, Jesus. We don't got this. And he's taken away. For Jesus to say, hey, guys, it's up to you now, that meant this, that it's now the disciples, they're the ones that the people were looking at to do the impossible. The way that they used to look at Jesus, now they look at Peter and John and Mark and all these guys. Now, we know that, that God can do the miraculous. How many of you know that God can do the miraculous? The disciples believed that. They believed that God could do the miraculous. But here was the question on their mind after that. And it's our question today. Can he do the miraculous through us? I know you can do it, but I don't know if you can do it through this this Greek guy. Can you do it through us? So here in this story, we see a snapshot of Peter not just stepping into the waters, but Peter catching the wave of the Spirit. This is a big deal. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're almost done. 36. Peter was there at the tomb of Mary and Martha when Jesus spoke the words, Lazarus, come forth. He was there to witness the dead being raised to life. He knew it was possible. 
He knew God could do it. He'd already experienced it. So now we see the divine handoff. Peter finds himself in a similar position. Verse 36. Now there was a father of Jesus who lived in Joppa. Her Aramaic name was Tabitha, which means gazelle. She lived her life doing kind things for others and serving the poor. But then she became very ill and died. After the disciples prepared, or after the disciples prepared her body for burial, they laid her in an upstairs room. When the believers heard that Peter was nearby in Lydia, or in Lydda, they, uh, they sent two men with the urgent message for him to come without delay. So Peter went, to them, uh, went with them back to Joppa, and upon arriving, they led him to the upper room. There were many widows standing next to Peter, weeping. One after another showed him the tunics and the other garments that Tabitha had made to bless others. Peter made them all leave the room. Then he knelt down and he prayed. This is when it starts to get real for Peter. What do you think went through his mind? Okay, Jesus, I know you can do this. I've watched you. Spirit, I feel something here in the room right now. I know you can do this. Do you think Peter was nervous? Do you think Peter had doubts? He was human. But something inside of him said, this is the time to catch the wave. This is the time to do it. This is the time we start to experience greater things. This is what happens. It says he knelt down and he prayed, turning to the dead body. He said, Tabitha, rise up. At once, she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. <sighs> what a moment. What a moment. What do you think went, went on in Peter's heart in that moment? Oh, my goodness. It happens. It's real. It's stronger than I ever thought I could imagine. What do you think could pe keep Peter contained in that moment? Nothing. He connected the dots. He's where he should be. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers and all the widows to come and see that she was alive. Now look what happened. Verse 42. The news spread all over the city of Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Peter remained in Joppa for several more days as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner. All of this happened because Peter was willing to step up. It's not enough to just put your toe in the water, beloved. It's time to be the person that God created you to be. Why? Because we need you. The kingdom needs you. You were born for such a time as this. It's time to immerse yourself in the waters. It's time to grab a board, head for deep waters, catch the wave of the Spirit, figure out what He's doing, get connected, and to do your part. God doesn't want you to do anything spectacular. He wants you to be the person He created you to be. That's enough. Are you willing? Are you ready? It's time, beloved. Bow your heads with me. I just feel in this moment, the two things that really God has impressed in my heart that we need to hammer on and just to, to cap this thing with this. First, for some of you, you are having your burning bush divine invitation experience right now. God has been whispering to you. He's been wooing to you. He's been wooing you, excuse me. He's been laying the plan, the foundation of your life, each brick perfectly placed to carry your path along. Beloved, this is your moment to rise. Will you say yes to the Lord today? Will you say yes to his plan and his purpose for your life? If today you're ready for that, we're just going to do something bananas. I just want you to stand. You're like, God, and don't worry about anybody. Everybody's got their eyes shut because nobody would, would not open their eyes in God's house, would open their eyes. They wouldn't cheat in God's house. You're ready to stand up. You're ready. You said, Lord, I'm ready for whatever's in front of me now. I'm ready to step in. Just stand, just quietly at your, just at, at, your, at your seat. Will you say yes to the invitation from the bush? There's no fear. You don't have to figure it out. Where God calls you, he provides.
So Father, right now in this moment, you see our heart of commitment. I pray that, Lord, you would solidify our prophetic stance to you today. Father, I pray that the enemy would not steal the seed that you're planting in hearts right now. But Father, we would step into what you have for us. Step into what, seal what you're doing in our hearts right now with the Spirit. Seal it, Lord. We lay before you what we have. It's not much. But Father, we give you what we have because we know just like the loaves and the fishes, you'll take what we have, you'll multiply it, and Father, through us, you'll impact thousands if we just say yes. I'm asking you to be seated again. Second is this. It's time to step in to be a part of what the Spirit is doing. As we end, if you feel, and I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Trish in a second, uh, maybe in your faith you, you feel like you're stuck. We're going to have people that will pray with you to help you get unstuck so you can get where God wants you to be, fully immersed in the waves. Part of it for us as a church believes this. We believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been stuck and you're running on two cylinders, three cylinders, and God created you to be a five-speed. There's more. Maybe you're here and you've never been prayed and been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you right now, guys, it is like a turbocharge for the engine of your car. For, I mean, it, that's just how it, it works. If you want to be prayed to be filled with the Spirit, will people here to pray with, you, pray with you for that as well. One last thing, and then Trish is coming. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.